Welcome to episode 17 of Imperfect Progress. I am your host, Anne Guzman. Today's guest is no stranger to sport and the mental side of sport. And my guest is Sonia Looney. And Sonia is a world champion endurance mountain biker and a health coach. She specializes in mindset and has a program called the Mindset Academy. And we spoke about mindset today and I'm excited to share that with you. I was super motivated by our conversation and I really appreciated how Sonia gave so many practical examples of how we can cultivate awareness of our thoughts so that we can start working on rewiring how we think and react. We also talked about the power of meditation in that process and what the purpose of setting goals is and why it's so important to set goals with certain parameters so that we set ourselves up for follow through. And I thought it was really interesting what the ramifications are if we're continually falling short on our goals. So that was really great part of today's conversation. We also discussed different types of personalities and why some people may need different types of accountability versus others. And most importantly, how to identify what type of person you are. And in relation to that, we also discussed the pitfalls of comparison and why it's so important, as Sonia has quoted, to ride your own race and essentially do what works for you. You do you. As always, my last question for guests is more personal. And I enjoyed hearing a bit more about how Sonia navigates adversity in her own life and puts her work into practice on a daily basis. And also how she's adjusted her expectations based on what's actually happening in her life. So it's always a treat when I leave my own podcast on cloud nine, feeling inspired to better myself with tools to do it. And that's exactly what this conversation did for me. And I so hope that it does the same for you. If I talk anymore, I really just feel like I'm doing you a disservice because it's best that you hear what Sonia has to say sooner than later. So if you're a coach, an athlete, a parent, or anyone who cares about maximizing your potential, definitely keep on listening. I guarantee something in this podcast will resonate with you. So I'll see you inside. All right. Welcome to the podcast, Sonia. I'm so glad to be here. I've listened to several of your podcast episodes and it's fun to be a guest. Oh, absolutely. And I've, I've listened to so many of yours. Um, and what's ironic about it is I've listened to many of them mountain biking, which is kind of cool. Um, although my mountain biking doesn't touch yours, but yeah, that's, that's kind of neat to have us here. I'm yeah. super excited to uh, chat with you today. And part of it is that I actually love the topic of mindset and it's not my expertise, but I enjoy reading about it and learning about it and also about goal setting. So all of these things that kind of help us all, I guess, optimize our performance in life and in sport. I'm really keen to learn about all the time, just as a side hobby. So I'm really excited to hear your expertise and what you have to share about these topics and, and how you incorporate like specific tactics and strategies for yourself or with clients to achieve optimal performance or health or whatever it might be that you're working on. And I know you have an amazing program, which we'll definitely talk about today, that's actually built around mindset and that it's a real pillar of your work and something that I've heard you have guests on and you've had many podcasts yourself about, you know, mindset and just the psychology of performance. So 
I'm super excited about that. And then we'll definitely expand onto some other areas because I know you're into health coaching as well. And I'm sure this all intertwines. So it'll be neat to see uh, what we end up with. But what I want to start with is, you know, something I was sitting thinking, well, like, what is mindset really? Does it have a definition? So I kind of wanted to ask you, like, how do you define mindset? Yeah, I mean, I would define mindset as the lens through which you see the world and how you choose to view challenges and opportunities and relationships. So, you know, the, the, the research terms, there's the fixed mindset and growth mindset from Carol Dweck, who has written a great book called Mindset for anybody who's interested. And this is sort of what got me going in this area. But somebody, um, to define quickly what a growth mindset is, is somebody that doesn't see their talent as fixed. And a lot of times people think that they're born with a fixed amount of talent. So like, say somebody is a musician or an artist and they say, well, this is this is just innate and I, I can't really improve at this. This is just what I'm born with. Um, you see this in athletics too. You say like, oh, so-and-so has more talent than somebody else. But really somebody with a growth mindset while it might not come as easily to them, they believe that if they put in the right effort, that they can improve and succeed at things. Mm-hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. I like how you define that. Do you find that a mindset is something that people tend to have, like, let's say they have this lens, do they have it in all areas of their lives? Or do you find that people have mindsets that are specific to certain skills or activities Um, For example, they're really positive when they're doing sport, but then they don't have that same lens or mindset in the workplace. Yeah, that happens all the time. And I think what that comes down to is self-efficacy because maybe in their sport or whatever area that they feel they have this growth mindset and they've seen themselves work hard and see that improvement and seen maybe even a positive result associated with that, but maybe they haven't proved them prove to themselves that they are capable in other areas. So, so they'll think that in one area, if they work hard, they'll get better, but in another area, well, you know, maybe they won't get better and they are afraid to take on challenges because they're afraid that that's good. Going to confirm that maybe they aren't good enough. And so if you have, if you're working with someone who is really great at activity a how do you help them, I guess, realize that they can be also really great at activity B when there seems to be maybe a disconnect in their lens? Yeah, I mean, I think for starters, and this can apply to anything, is celebrating small daily wins because you're going to be building confidence by looking at things that you've succeeded in in the past. And a lot of times we look back and we look for these like humongous things that will prove to ourselves that we are an exhibit of what we think we should be. But a lot of times it's building something brick by brick and each one of those bricks is going to bring you more confidence to build more bricks on top of that. So something really important and you know, I'm sure a lot of people listening have heard of a gratitude practice, looking mm-hmm. for positive things that happen throughout the day so that you start scanning for the positive things in your life. Well, the same goes for building confidence. So if you start scanning for the things that you're doing well, instead of focusing on the things that aren't going well, or maybe comparing yourself to what somebody else's trajectory of success looks like, that tears down your confidence and the ability to believe in yourself and to believe in the things that you want to be able to do. So celebrating those small daily wins. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. How do you help someone who, which is probably most of us innately might, uh, or maybe not, but focus on more of the negative, like, how do you actually help someone to focus on more of the positive? Like, it sounds good, 
but then there you are at work and you're back in the negative. Yeah. I mean, just like anything else, it's a practice and your brain, you know, probably most people listening have heard of neuroplasticity and you can rewire your brain neurons that wire together, fire together. So if you have been quote, a pessimist or just somebody, maybe you've just lost your confidence or had something bad happen. So your, your view of the world has changed and you have to just practice it every single day. And it might not be easy to practice and gratitude doesn't have to be these big things. It could be like, Oh, I'm really thankful that my kitchen's clean or, Oh, that I smelled a really nice smell when I was out in the forest today, or someone smiled at me and that made my day. And lots of little things like that. You start, you start practicing those every day and doing your reps, then it becomes built in in your brain to start looking for those things. So it, it isn't something you can just change overnight. It's something that you have to work at just like training. You know, if you're out there riding your bike or running, you're not going to just all of a sudden be a great endurance athlete. It's something that you have to work at so that your body starts rewiring itself in a way to work. So the same goes with positivity. The same goes with gratitude. And there's a lot more involved with positivity. And the great thing about this field of positive psychology it really blew up um, in the late 90s with Martin Seligman is one of the uh, sort of founding fathers of positive psychology. And self-talk is such a huge part of positive psychology. The things that you say to yourself, the way that you um, deal with failures, the way that you talk to others and view others, all of those things really are connected. And um being aware of what you're saying to yourself too in the mindfulness space also really helps with that. Mm -hmm. No, it makes a lot of sense. I like this. You've kind of already gone here twice about brick by brick and, you know, not focusing on the big thing, but the little things and just the culmination of those and how powerful that can suddenly be the big thing. You know, you've made like a, a big shift because of all these little shifts. You just mentioned something about how we talk to ourselves and, Gosh, even a decade ago, I think I remember when I was racing, reading, you know, maybe a research paper or two about the way you talk to yourself, but I'm not totally on top of um, the latest research there. So I'm curious, I had read about some differences, you know, if you talk to yourself in the first person, like, or in the third person, so either I'm saying Anne or I, so I wanted to ask, based on what you know, what is the most effective way to speak to yourself? And why is it the most effective? Yeah, I wish that I was a researcher in this topic. I'm just repeating the research that I've heard. Um, I would highly recommend people checking out Ethan Cross, and he has a lab on emotional regulation and self-talk, and he's out of, I believe, Michigan. He's written a book called Chatter, which is great. But the I versus you self-talk is called mental distancing. And whenever you talk to yourself in the third person, you end up creating space between yourself and then all the emotions involved with I. And a lot of times with this distant self-talk, you can actually learn how to interpret stress as challenges instead of threats. So in some of the research that they've done, whenever people are in a, a quote, challenging situation, if they're using the word I a lot versus you or their name, um, the research shows that they actually don't do very well in those situations because they're, they're too threatened. And also from a, not only from a psychological, but from a physiological response, they'll have more cardiac distress and things like that. If they're talking to themselves in the first person. So learning how to say things like, like if even in a positive frame, like I got this versus you got this, like there was a study. Um, I can't remember the exact details, but it was, it was with a bunch of cyclists and they were having them undergo a stress, you know, a hard workout, a stressful workout. And the athletes that talked to themselves in the third person by either their name or using the word you were able to push themselves harder. And the reason why is it makes you feel like you're talking to somebody else. 
Um, number two is that it's fast and easy to implement in the present moment. So the neural processing um, and load that under that you have to undergo whenever you're talking to yourself in the first versus the third person is actually easier in the third person, which I thought was really interesting. Um, one of the studies, they were actually asking people to ask themselves, like, how am I feeling versus how are you feeling? And just that really small switch made a big difference in performance. Oh, that's super interesting. What I think is really neat is I wonder if, you know, if you got really consistent at that, would you also say nicer things because you're distanced and we tend to be our own worst critic? Yeah, you know, something that um, I haven't seen connected in the, the literature, which I would love to see connected, is this um, distant self-talk with the self-compassion research. Because a lot of times with self-compassion, which is, you know, being nice to yourself, is you you would say to yourself, like, well, how would you, how would you say that to a friend? Like, you would never... Um, say you're out mountain biking because you mentioned mountain biking earlier and say you mess up on a technical section and and you say to yourself like, gosh, I suck or, you know, I'm never going to get this. It's like you would never say that to a friend. <laughs> and and the reason why it's easier to start, you know, working on self-compassion is you start changing how you would say it. So it creates distance whenever you say, well, would I say this to a friend or would I say this to myself? And I think that that is that's it's the same like neural pathway. Yeah, that's really important because, you know, I had to laugh there because, I mean, I probably wouldn't want to tell people half the stuff I that goes in my head if I'm saying I. So it's such a good idea to always think about saying it to a friend because most of us are kind people. Um, but amazing. It is so amazing how much kinder we would be to someone else. So I imagine this is such a useful strategy. Yeah, um, something okay. else. I Oh, sorry, I'm going to yeah. interrupt. Another no, thing that I thought, I thought was super interesting um, that I read was, I, so I talk talk, saying like, I, blah, blah, blah. I did this. I did that. It's actually a predictor of negative emotion and depression. So people that, that use I more often than you or their name, whenever they're, um, you know, working through something, they tend to have more negative emotions if they use I. That's really important. I mean, I'm going to think of that now. I think I do a lot of you, but not all the time, but I'm pretty sure after this, uh, I'm going to stay on top of it a little bit more. What about that person who has kind of runaway negative thoughts? So imagine you're on Instagram, you're just going through the reels and one after another, like, God, I suck. Why can't I get this right? I never get anything right. Of course, this happened to me. This always happens to me. Like, how do you even, I don't know, like, what's the first step you would do to in working with someone like that, that literally it's just one after another after another? Yeah, I think like number one, and we all experience this, I experience this every single day, is you start comparing yourself to other people. So like, maybe we'll go back to the technical writing example, because that's an easy visual thing. Say, you know, you're online, you see somebody who's way better technical writer than you, and you think, well, I'm never going to be able to do that. Like, it's, it's, it's not about comparing your trajectory to somebody else's. And there's a quote that I like. It's like something, it goes something like this. Don't compare your start to somebody else's middle or even your middle to somebody mm-hmm. else's middle. Cause you don't know what they've been through to get to that point. You don't know the amount that, of work that they've done and someone else's success doesn't threat. It shouldn't threaten your success or your self-worth. And it's tough because we're all competitive, you know, especially as, as athletes, we're competitive and probably people, you know, at work might have competition. So it's easy to feel threatened online whenever you, or even in person, whenever you see somebody that's doing something that you wish that you could do. But something that you can do from that is notice whenever you start feeling that jealous feeling, that tugging, you know, contracting feeling, because that's a good message to you of like, well, what do I really want? 
I really actually want to be like that. So you can actually view it in a positive way of saying, I'm going to be inspired by that person. And I want to work towards that instead of saying, well, I'm, I'm never going to be that. And that's, that's a, that's a really nuanced thing, but being able to understand, you know, where those jealous feelings are coming from and why they're there and what those feelings of inadequacy could mean can help. And another thing is if you are finding yourself scrolling and having lots of negative emotions come out, well, maybe you shouldn't be scrolling. Maybe you shouldn't be even following those people because they might be great people. You might even like them in real life. And I've actually unfollowed people that I actually like in person just because they make me feel, I I make myself feel insecure by looking at their stuff. (laughs) And it's this weird like social thing because if you don't follow someone online and you know them, well, what does that mean? But really like that shouldn't matter. Absolutely. And I mean, I I remember reading once that, you know, obviously this was just an article and opinion, but you know, it doesn't matter if you don't follow your friends. And in fact, you typically have better relationships, the less you communicate with your friends on social media. And it made sense to me. I'm like, yeah, because you're actually communicating in person or on the phone. And so oftentimes you think you're communicating with people that you're really not. So yeah, how it can help a relationship. You said a word there that really resonated contract like feeling contracted that's such a good word like that's exactly the feeling when I was thinking about what you were going through how you can feel like contracted versus like oh yeah I want to be like that too just saying that kind of feel a little bit more open-chested or expanded I'm wondering so you have let's say some of those runaway negative thoughts what kind of things can you do to work on the awareness? Because it's one thing if you're that person that ruminates or has that chatter in your mind, but if you're not really that aware, like we have, let's say they haven't hired you yet because they don't even know, but now they're listening to this and like, oh my gosh, that's me. Like, well, what are some things you can do to kind of start realizing, oh yeah, that is me. And how do I catch that before I'm 20 thoughts in and crying? Yeah. You know, a lot of people like meditation is the answer to this question. And a lot of people don't want to meditate and it's really hard. Like I'm really bad at make at quote, making myself do it every day, but it's a practice and it's something that you can do without even having a seated practice, but just starting like it, just starting to be aware of what's coming into your mind. So in a meditation practice, I'm sure most people are familiar, but, and there's different types, but it's basically just noticing your thoughts as they come in, in a non-judgmental way. It's not about not thinking, but it's just about noticing them. So that's such a great way to start noticing the flavor of your thought. So one technique that I found incredibly useful, and I actually use it as almost like a mental or even a word that I'll say as a cue when my mind gets out of control is using thought labeling. So you'll sit there and I mean, set the timer for even one minute, like one minute a day of meditation is better than zero. And just notice what your thoughts are. If your thought starts going into like, I hate meditation. Okay. You're judging like label as judging, or you could even just have the simplest label of thinking and just use the word thinking every time your mind, you know, wanders off. Or maybe like for me, my mind always goes to planning. So just, if you just notice where your thoughts are going in a meditation, then you can start doing that in your real life. So if your brain starts taking off ruminating, and then you notice that your brain is starting to take off ruminating because you've practiced it in an environment with no distractions, you can have a cue or a keyword for yourself so that you can stop yourself. Um, A really simple one that I use whenever I start judging myself is no, I just say no. And 
just like in a meditation practice, you maybe you're like, oh, I, I'm not good at this, blah, blah, blah. And then you say no. And then maybe your mind goes back there again and you say no. And it's about training your attention. You have to train your attention. So it's about coming back over and over and over and over again. And even the most experienced meditators, monks, they, they are still practicing that. That's what it means to be a human being. But the moment that you notice that you're doing this is the key moment. It's not about not having any of those moments. Yeah, that makes sense. If you notice, then you've become aware. So yeah, see that as a, as a good thing. Like I notice I'm distracted and I'm thinking about dinner. <laughs> to me, I think, hey, I notice I'm distracted. Like I noticed something that, that seems positive. So I guess it all depends uh, how you spin it. And what about journaling? Can it have the same effect or is it different? I think whatever you practice the most is going to be effective. So um, I think meditation is going to be the most effective way, but writing stuff down can be a really therapeutic way to number one, just get your thoughts out of your head and handwriting is more effective than typing, but also just to see where that's going or say you're doing a hard workout and I keep going back to workouts because that's the easiest example, or maybe you just had like a hard meeting writing down immediately what happened emotionally and how you felt will help you the next time to notice in the moment when you're thinking that way. And the same kind of goes with food. You know, whenever we're like eating, asking like, what, what is this doing for me? Or how is this making me feel can help dissociate some of those like craving feelings. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. So if you're in the middle of a race, I mean, you, you've obviously got really good grasp on, your mindset. I mean, you're a world champion endurance mountain biker. That is a sport that has a lot of tough elements, whether it's going to be raining that day, just the nature of the sport and the technical aspects. You're going to have a mechanical, maybe somebody runs out of energy, there's a crash. I mean, there's so many factors that can go wrong. So many things can go right. But when you're in the heat of the moment and you're already physiologically revving on so many high levels, you know, all of these decisions are more difficult. So when you're in training, like how, how do you practice that intentionally in training so that it's not the expectation that suddenly you're just going to have it all together on race day when it's going to be harder? Yeah, I, I love that you make that point because you have to front load this type of training. You can't just wait until race day to start working on your mindset <laughs> and dealing with challenges that come up because it's going to be way harder because of the intensity of the moment. So again, it's kind of like doing those repetitions. It's noticing whenever something is happening and then having either a reframing or just an accepting or just a labeling of where your mind is going there. So like, you know, something that's hard to replicate is getting past. Like say you're in a race mm. and you got passed by somebody. Well, the way to get better at that is just doing more racing and more experiences with getting past. And a lot of times we'll think to ourselves like, oh, sorry, I don't know if you hear my son. That's <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, you know, you might be thinking to yourself like, well, I, I'm not good enough or I'm not fast enough or I can't believe so-and-so passed me. But it's it's in practicing that moment over and over. And then you like, what are you going to say? So you could have a script for yourself. You could even come up with a bunch of different scenarios in advance before your event of things that could happen. And then what you are going to say to yourself if they do happen. And a lot of times that can be, um, hard to even practice in the moment, but if you don't even think about it in advance and it's going to be really hard to practice it on the day. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I mean, why anyone would think that they're just going to miraculously have great awareness on race day. So for sure, the practice. Do you ever write anything on your handlebars? Actually, I, well, I used to, um, but now I actually created some stem caps 
And it's just really basic, like two words that I have. I just, it just sticks on the uh, stem of my bike that has Mm -hmm. like basic words. But yeah, I used to write stuff all the time. It's, it's finding the things that work for you. And actually my cycling kit this year, I'm lucky I get to design my own kits. Um, it's not, it's not just for me, but it's for other people too, like on the sleeves and on the back pockets. And I also have arm warmers. It's all my favorite positive personal mantras that help me through an event because it just, it just so important to have these reminders in front of you. And the one that just popped into my mind as I was talking about this is no mud, no Lotus. And the reason why I love that one is because Lotus flowers are beautiful. Everyone loves a Lotus flower, but the only way for a Lotus flower to bloom is to come up through the muckiest of mud. So it just reminds you that even in the hardest situations where you feel stuck and everything is dark, there's still something beautiful that will come out of it. If you just stick with it. I love that. Yeah. I think I've, I've heard you or, or read that from you before. And I remembered it too, because it was like, Oh yeah, that's really good. That would be a great tattoo. Yeah, um. <laughs> and that's not, that's not my personal, uh, the monk Tich, Tich, I can't say his name. Tich not Han. Yeah. He actually has a book he wrote called no mud, no Lotus. And that's where oh, I wrote amazing. that. <laughs> oh, that's great. No, thanks for sharing that. Cause uh, if no one's heard it, I'm sure they'll remember it as well. Um, a lot of these things we're talking about really kind of come around to setting mini goals that can, you know, stack up on top of each other. So I know that you work with clients in, you know, health coaching and mindset. So I'm going to assume that you do a lot of goal setting and that's a really difficult thing to do. And I want to ask you when you're working on setting goals with clients, like what are some of the key attributes of that process of setting a goal that you find really important? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting because I did this health coaching program through Vanderbilt university's integrative medicine program. And I love goal setting. I love all the psychology around it. And it, it's all about helping people change their behavior. And there's so many different areas of health. Like nutrition is just one of them. Sleep is just one of them. There's like relationships, there's passionate, um, compassionate self-awareness, there's like spirituality. So there's just so many different, I mean, even more than that, there's so many areas of health and areas where you just want to make positive changes. So with goal setting, the number one mistake that I used to make and that other people make is they set outcome-based goals. So they want they say like, I want to lose 10 pounds or I want to, you know, run a 40 minute uh, 10K you know, they start setting these goals, which is, it's good to sort of have that in the back of your mind. But at the end of the day, sometimes you can't control that number. And a lot of times the reason why people backslide, like you see, you'll see somebody lose weight or you'll see somebody run a marathon and then they'll just quit. They'll just like gain back all the weight and more, or they'll just stop running altogether because their goal was just to get that outcome. It wasn't about changing their identity. So looking at daily actions, and I mentioned daily actions before, but just the things that you can do, the process, the person that you're trying to become, that's the most important part of goal setting because that's that's something that's going to make it sustainable over time. So I think James Clear um, in his book, Atomic Habits, said it exactly like this. He said, the goal isn't to run a marathon. The goal is to become a runner. So, mm-hmm. and, and how do you become a runner? Well, I'm someone who, who does X, Y, Z. I'm somebody that trains, you know, regularly, maybe maybe even part of the identity is having a running watch. I know that sounds silly, but to some people mm-hmm. just looking down and seeing that watch is just a reminder that that's what, that's who they are. So having those, um, those process oriented goals is really important. Um, number two is having smart goals. So I'm sure everybody's heard of smart goals, but it's specific, measurable, action oriented, realistic, and time bound. And if you go through your goal and you check off each one of those boxes, that makes the goal so tangible and so specific 
that you're, you know exactly what you're supposed to do instead of set, setting a goal that's kind of out there and you don't really know exactly what you're committing to. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that's super interesting. And when you talk about like changing your identity, do you think that that's why people don't follow through with a goal? Because I think not following through, actually, I'll ask you, what do you think are the detriments of continually not following through with goals? Yeah, not following through with goals continuously means that you lose trust in yourself. So having that integrity, like if you told somebody, I'm going to do X, well, you would hope that that person would believe that you're going to do that. But we do it, we, 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 we do that to ourselves all the time. Like we'll say, I'm going to do X, but then we don't do it. And then if you do that repeatedly over time, you start losing trust in what you actually said you're going to do. So it's so important to set small goals instead of like a lot of times we set these huge goals and then it just seems so overwhelming or maybe it's just taking too long to get there. It's, it's, it's so hard to be patient with goals. Like sometimes a goal could take 10 years to achieve, or maybe you never actually get to the quote outcome, but doing the thing that you said you're going to do and sticking to it, I think is one of the main ways to follow through with the goal. And another um, one is people tend to rely on willpower and there's, there's some conflicting opinions and about like how you should actually set up to achieve your goal. But one of them is like environment design. Like if your environment is set up so that it makes it easy for you to achieve the things that you want to achieve, like say it's really easy for you to get everything ready to ride. Everything's ready to go. Everything's organized and in place. Well, that's going to be easy. Or say you're trying to quit drinking or just drink less. Like a tip that I have for that is like, I don't keep warm, warm. I don't keep cold beer in the house. The beer is like in a hard to access place in the house and it's warm so that if I actually want a beer, I have to get, go upstairs, unlock a door, get the beer out. So that's like one way. But the other way is just turning off the willpower part of your mind. Um, because that's what happens at the end of the day. Like how many of us have said, I'm not going to do X. And then by the end of the day, you're doing it because you're exhausted. And that's because the the prefrontal cortex goes offline after a certain amount of time because your brain just can't take on anymore. So asking yourself, and this is from Judd Brewer's book, The Craving Mind, asking yourself, what am I getting from this in order to change your behavior actually takes takes away that decision-making process out of the prefrontal cortex and goes into a different area of your brain to help you make positive change. So ultimately, you know, there's a lot of different ways to set goals to set up your environment or your mental space to achieve those goals, but it's finding what works for you. And it's about just having those tools at your disposal and just trying them out. And it might even be a combination of them. Yeah, that was a lot of great info there. Hopefully, uh, yeah, I mean, I have it recorded, so (laughs) I can take notes. So hopefully other people are jotting this stuff down. I really loved what you said about you know, when you continually don't follow through, that you're losing trust in yourself and essentially not showing yourself like who you can be. And that's, I think that would run really deep because then you might think you might almost, I don't know, self-perpetuate what you're doing. Like, Oh, of course I didn't follow through. That's what I'm like, but you're saying you're trying to change your identity. So follow through even on something small. So you're not like that. Like that's super important. I love that. Um, Accountability. What do you think about accountability. How is how important is it that you share your goals with someone? Is it important? I think it depends on the person. Um, I, I know I keep referencing books. And the reason why I know all this stuff isn't because I'm some like researcher expert. It's because I've studied, well, I guess 
I've studied a lot. I'm not doing the actual research myself, but it's from reading books and from also real world experience coaching people. But there's a great book called The Four Tendencies by Gretchen Rubin. And it's all about like how you manage expectations. So some people actually, they're called obligers. They need external um, accountability. So they need some somebody to hold them accountable and that helps them. But then there's other people like quite another, another type is a questioner. And a questioner is more likely to just, they don't need that external accountability. If they say they're going to do it, then they're going to do it and they're going to hold themselves to the highest standard. So it's like, how like the tracking p- part is really important. So like if you need that accountability, that's also part of your tracking um, for like somebody that is more intrinsically motivated and doesn't need to say it out loud to somebody else to achieve it. Maybe theirs is like writing it down or having it in the calendar or having a checklist, but having a visual representation and or somebody else to go through the journey with you can be a really great way to see the progress that you're making because as I mentioned, if you're setting small goals that are achievable every week, sometimes it's really hard to take a step back and look at everything that you've achieved in a period of time because gradual change, it doesn't feel like you just had this big gestalt aha moment. It's it's just like all of a sudden you look back and you've, you've painted a masterpiece, but it takes time to get there. Mm-hmm. No, that's super useful. And I can see why it would be important to not see, like if you are someone that needs accountability, I think it'd be really important to make sure that you don't see that as a negative thing because maybe you're that person that needs to have a group to go riding and maybe you're the person who doesn't, but to not compare to that would be important. Like, oh, so-and-so just goes riding by themselves like every morning. Like, why can't I do that? Well, maybe it's just not how you're built. So that sounds like a really interesting read and, and worth kind of figuring out. I guess what makes you tick and what makes you follow through, whether it's sharing goals or not. I like that. Can you have too many goals? And if you do, like, you just listing by prioritizing or do you kind of have to do some weeding? I'm laughing because I always set too many goals. <laughs> but I think, yeah, I think it's... um prioritizing. So that could be on a daily basis. It could be on a quarterly basis. It could like, it just depends on what your priority is. And you could still be ticking off goals really, really slowly in the background. And I'll give a great example. I had a baby in March of 2020 pandemic, uh, started the pandemic. We had all these plans, you know, to get childcare, which we still don't have. And all of my goals basically got hacked in half because I don't have the same amount of time. And to be frank, I was overworking even before I had a kid. So it wasn't even sustainable, but becoming comfortable with the rate of achievement based on the number of inputs you have on your life and being okay with that is really hard, but it also can be really freeing once you get there. So you asked about having lots of different goals. It's figuring out what, which one or ones are the most important. Um, it's, and sometimes you say one thing is important, but then you look at your actions and you see something else is important. So for me, um, you know, I have all these different things going on that I love to do, but I look at what I prioritize and that is my training. If I have two hours free during the day or an hour free during the day, what am I doing with that time? And what am I prioritizing? And then not judging yourself for that. And maybe, you know, maybe you wish that you were prioritizing training, but you find yourself doing something else like working on a podcast or, you know, <laughs> painting, painting or whatever it is. So it's about just like realizing what, where your priorities are. And then again, keeping that trust with yourself. And then also looking back either by yourself or with somebody else that you care about so that you can celebrate successes along the way. And I think one of the biggest challenges of people that are keen to set goals and to achieve things in their lives is that it's really difficult to celebrate the successes because you tend to belittle yourself in the process. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) I mean, first of all, congrats if, you know, you've been able to kind of, you know, you always have so many goals, but that's a lot of change that you've faced and you've been able to kind of adjust. And I'm sure, I'm sure everything you learn is really, you're able to apply it to your own life, which is, which is amazing. Do you think that when you write your goals down, that that's powerful? I do. And also like, visioning them. And I say that hesitantly because that might seem too woo-woo for a lot of people. Um, But mental imagery, even in sport, like imagining yourself either, you know, from a bird's eye view or first person view in the moment um, in a race or in whatever, you know, challenge you're hoping to overcome actually helps you do it. So even visualizing yourself or writing down what you want to have happen, um, talking it out with a friend, those things will make it more likely to happen because it becomes more tangible to you. Mm -hmm. No, that makes sense. You kind of mentioned uh, a minute ago, the fact that, you know, when you have two hours, you find that you're biking. So if someone, um, and that's something that you love to do, but yet in your mind, you might think, oh, I wish I was doing B, but yet you keep finding yourself biking. What do you think about that? Like, let's say it's just someone else or a different example. And, you know, they they think they want to do something, but yet they keep being pulled to the other thing. Like, do you think there's something to listen to there? Like, just follow what you obviously really enjoy doing. But what if that thing is not a positive thing like cycling? Yeah, um, I think that's a really good point. Number one, I think that procrastination is a way that well, it's, it's the number one way that pulls us away from all the things that we're trying to accomplish and maybe bike riding or insert whatever the activity is, is a form of procrastination because you're afraid to actually do the thing. So it's understanding, you know, that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and also, you know, going back to what your values and strengths are. And a lot of people think they know their values and strengths, but maybe they've never actually spent the time to try to write down and narrow down what those things are. So as an exercise, I encourage people to do that because, and there's, there's something called the VIA strength survey. It's VIA strength survey. It's free. And it's a really great way to help you just figure out what those strengths are. And by knowing what those are that might, and your values, that might be, that might help you figure out why you're choosing to do one activity over another if they're both positive activities. But if it's like more of a negative activity and it's a form of procrastination or avoidance, um, well, you know, that could be something else to work on. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, yours is positive. That's your career. I'm just imagining a different scenario where maybe um, you want to be writing a book, but you're scrolling Instagram as an extreme example, right? I I actually do that. I've been trying to write a book for years and I don't... (laughs) it's like a really annoying thing. And then I'll just like get into it and then I'll get out of it. And yeah, well, there's like the, the, what is it called? The war, the war of art, like the resistance. Mm-hmm. It's like always pulling on you. But for the book writing thing, I tell myself like, look, anything I've ever wanted to accomplish, I just do it when the, and, and I, it just happens um, when the time is right. So if I'm not gunning to get this done, maybe that means that this isn't the right time for me to do it. Yeah, I love that. Hey, intuition is is important. Um, when we talk about when we talk about goal setting, you know, a lot of times the reason we set goals is obviously because we want to change something. Yet, you know, a lot of people are really afraid of change. So, how do you work with someone that you know thinks they want to change, but yet is a really routine person and 
how do you help them see the changes, I guess, more appealing or more of an opportunity versus something to be afraid of, which a lot of people are afraid of change? Yeah, change is hard because you don't know what's going to happen. It's fear of the unknown. Well, first, it's like figuring out what you are afraid of. Fear of the unknown, fear of wasting time, fear of looking bad in front of other people, fear of not achieving that goal. <laughs> and. Mm-hmm. And, and perfectionism and saying, you know, well, I, I don't even want to start because I'm not, I don't think I'm going to actually be able to be number one or have it look the way that I want it to look. And it's being able to realize that it probably won't look like the way that you initially started. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that, and that sounds, it sounds funny. Like how many of us have set a five-year goal and ended up somewhere totally different, but maybe yeah. that place that you ended up isn't a bad place at all. So it takes, it takes courage to step into the unknown Um, But viewing it with curiosity, I think is so important. Curiosity about yourself, curiosity about the world, having flexibility in making those changes and surrounding yourself with people who are going to support you making those changes. Because even with some of my health coaching clients, like some of them want to, I'll give an easy example, like want to eat healthier, but their family isn't on board with that. And that makes it really hard for them to want to make those changes because then their family starts viewing them in a different way. So, and, and maybe you start viewing yourself in a different way. So just number one, like having curiosity around it. Number two, like viewing these stresses and challenges as opportunities. And that also taps back into the curiosity and also knowing that you're going to be fine. No matter what happens, you're going to be fine. It might not look like the way you thought, or might, and you definitely won't look like how you did when you started, but would you rather just sit there in this contemplative space, wishing that you're going to actually do something in your life? Or would you rather take a step in the direction and maybe have it work, maybe have it not work, but at least know that you tried? Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. I just know that, yeah, unfortunately, some people never take that step because the fear is too big. Do you ever use the tactic of trying to imagine the worst case scenario? Yeah. And I I think you have to be careful with imagining the worst case scenario because, you know, you could actually start focusing on the worst case scenario instead of just acknowledging it. But yeah, like that is important to say, okay, well, what's the worst that could possibly happen? And it might be too big of a risk. Like that's risk versus reward, but also imagining the best thing that could possibly happen. And again, I think surrounding yourself with people that are going to support you along that journey, but also be real with you is, is so important whenever you're trying to take on new challenges. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned like, what if the fear is that I'm going to change and the people, let's say you gave the example of, you know, the eating in the family and they're not going to change. And I'm legitimately afraid of ruining the relationships. Like those are, those are pretty big fears. How would you even walk through something like that? Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's really individual and really scary at the same time, but the questions are asking yourself questions. Like, do I want to be around people that want me to stay in this space that I don't want to be in? Do I want to be around people? And it's hard when it's your family, but like, do you really want to be around people that aren't going to support you to grow and be better? Mm -hmm. Definitely not. No, (laughs) but no, I see what you mean. I mean, that's pretty difficult if if it's your family, but I guess that's, that's a bigger, much bigger topic that I'm sure would need a lot deeper conversation. Yeah. And I'm going to interject to get real quick again is what if, what if something else happens? Like what if you start making these, these changes that you deem positive and then 
like maybe there's a little bit of resistance from the people around you initially, but then you start bringing them along with you. And I've seen mm-hmm. this happen over and over and over, like people making fun of you for doing X, Y, Z, but then they see you thriving. They see the changes you're making and how well you're doing. And then in the end, it ends up inspiring them. And then they start making those positive changes too. So you just never know the impact you're going to have on someone. Yeah, I think that's definitely like the better or, you know, the more positive way to look at it. The ripple effect could be amazing and far reaching if one person changes and then someone else sees them change and and so on. You've recently become a certified health coach. And although you've been coaching for some time before this, if you were to think about like three takeaway messages that people could start implementing today that can bring them closer to, and I know health is many things. So Um, bring them closer to optimal health, knowing it looks different for anyone. What are some, I guess, more broad things that you find help most people progress towards better health? Uh, One of the biggest things I've seen with my clients, male or female, no matter what age, is people beat themselves up. Mm. And we we touched on self-compassion a little bit earlier, but whenever you are just beating yourself up and being hard on yourself, that doesn't actually help you progress in your life. And it's just not that. Some people are actually afraid that if they are nice to themselves, they're going to lose their edge. So, you know, working on this, this self-compassion, this compassionate self-awareness piece, I think will help you everywhere else in your life. And really, it's going to sound cheesy, but learning to really love yourself and accept yourself no matter what, that unconditional positive regard is going to just be so important for making changes in your health. And health, like you said, can mean lots of different things. Mm-hmm. All right. So self-compassion is the first one. Number two is making small changes instead of trying to change everything at once and be all or none. Very small changes. Like with my clients, we set weekly action steps and no more than two. So don't set too many goals and don't set goals that seem hard to achieve. So I actually ask them on a scale of zero to 10, zero being I can't do this and 10 being like, yeah, I got this where are you on this, on this action step? And it needs to be a seven or higher. And if it's not, then they have to change the goal to make it even easier to achieve. Because like we talked about earlier, it's so important to keep that trust with yourself and keep moving in a positive direction. And if you make it too hard because you think it sounds good to do all this stuff at once, but then you end up backsliding because of it, that's not going to be very helpful. So setting small achievable goals where you feel like it's a seven out of 10 that you can do. Um, and number three really, I think is having support around you, people that support, like I mentioned this earlier, just, I've been in lots of situations where people aren't supportive of you and it's really hard and it sucks. And there's so many different things that you can be involved in with the internet, um, you know, with local groups, just supporting yourself and being in a community that has the same like-minded people, because that's going to help inspire you. And that's going to help you stay on track. No, it's amazing. So self-compassion, don't set your goals too hard, don't have too many, and then having supportive people around you. I mean, that makes a lot of sense about not having too many goals and making them achievable because I find when you achieve small goals, like you build momentum and then you're proud of yourself. And then you're yeah. like, oh yeah, I can do that. Well, then I can do the next one. And then like you said early, like in the podcast, you're trying to change your identity and all those little bricks that you're stacking that you mentioned you are like building a new identity through all those little successes. So I love that um, about making the goals achievable. And I think that, yeah, I I often see a lot of grandiose goals and I can imagine for me myself, like if I just always set these giant goals, I think I would just start being really disappointed in myself because I would keep failing. So I love that. 
Yeah. Uh, and to quote James Clear again about mm-hmm. this, like every action is a vote for the type of person that you want to become. So every that. single choice you make is a vote. Do I want to become this type of person or that type of, of person? And oh, just good. keeping it that simple just helps you make better decisions. Mm-hmm. That's great. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that on my wall. Yeah, <laughs> you and just said like, a lot of good things. And think. just like imagining what the future version of yourself would want. I use that all the time because a lot of times in the moment you want the cookie, which is fine to eat cookies. I probably eat cookies on a daily basis, but I try not to eat too many cookies on a daily basis. It's like, <laughs> what would the, what would the future version of myself want? And a lot of times it's hard to pull yourself into that future version of yourself, but that can help you make positive decisions today. I love that. This has been amazing. It's been really motivating. I feel motivated myself <laughs> just listening. So, so I'm excited about it. Before I ask you my last question, I guess I want to add, is there anything that you want to talk about that we didn't talk about or anything you want to touch on that you think is important for listeners to hear? Um, I mean, there's so many things I could talk about, but I just want people to know that like you're enough, like you're enough exactly the way you are and just keep going. And it's so hard to like even say that out loud about yourself because we just live in a society that really values the win. Like if you're first place in a race, everybody's celebrating you. And if you're second place, people are like, Oh, that's nice. And it doesn't matter what place you are. And it's all about doing things that you're proud of. And that's been one of the biggest things that's come out of my podcast and all the high performance I've had the privilege of talking to is that it's not about the outcome. It's about doing things that you're proud of. And that means that that's enough. I love that. You're really inspiring, by the way, and you are an expert. So you kind of mentioned that, you know, I don't do the research. I read people, but you are really have great expertise in all of this. So I appreciate everything that you're sharing. And it's really clear and easy to understand. So thank you. Um, My final question is always about the name of the podcast, Imperfect Progress. And you're going to be the perfect guest to answer this question. But uh, I named it this because I love the process of progressing towards something. So whether it's about science, it's about sport, relationships, or parenting, I know that, you know, it's never a linear process, but I also think that the fact that it's not linear is probably supposed to be that way as well. So you have accomplished a lot. You're a world champion. You're a parent. You know, you're so many things. You're a businesswoman. And I'm sure that although you have this amazing innate positivity, you have definitely had to overcome some adversity. And so I'm really curious, how do you deal with times of imperfect progress? And are there things that you commonly say to yourself in the third person, I hope, um, (laughs) to help get you through and stay the course? Yeah. I mean, number one, this is actually like, I have lots of quotes. So this is actually a Tony Robbins quote. It's choose not to be perfect because I used to really be focused on perfection and I don't do that anymore. Um, but it's about doing your best in the moment. And this being becoming a parent has been such a great, uh, you know, reminder of this is that your best today might be different than what your best looks like tomorrow. And your best five years ago might look different than what your best looks like today. So giving yourself the grace to just be you today and accept who you are today and, and realize that that is okay. I think that that's what imperfect progress means. And also it's not about, like you said, a linear line, it's about trending in the right direction. So are you trending in the direction that you want to go? And that, that to have a trend line, you have to have lots of data points. So just keep trending in that direction and you'll get to where you want to go. I love that. That's amazing. 
Thank you so much. And where, if people want to learn more from you, they want to take your mindset course, they want to do health coaching with you, where can people connect with you? You also have an amazing podcast, The Sonia Looney Show. So tell us where people can learn more from you and connect with you. Yeah, SoniaLooney.com is the best spot. And I'm actually, I've actually been launched, working on launching a new website for the last several months. So the new website should be coming out pretty soon. And I'm pretty excited about that. But yeah, SoniaLooney.com. I have a weekly newsletter that comes out every Monday that's about motivation and mindset specifically and topics like we talked about today. And if you want to hear from other amazing people, um, my podcast is a great way to do that. And Anne has also been a podcast guest to those of you listening. <laughs> so check out our episode. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. This has been amazing. And I'm really looking forward to sharing it so everyone else can learn from you. Thanks, Anne. Oh, that was so awesome. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I don't know about you, but that really clarified some of the things about goal setting for me and also served as a great reminder of how to talk to myself. So for sure, I will be talking to myself in the third person like, Anne, you got this, not I got this. So third person, everyone. I love that. It really resonated with me. And so did the whole conversation about um, self-compassion and realizing you know, would we say what we say to ourselves to our best friend? And I find so often the answer is definitely not. I would never say these things to my best friends. So if you want to contact Sonia or learn more from her at her website, it's sonyalooney.com. As she mentioned, her Mindset Academy program can be found at moxieandgrit.com. She also sells some sweet swag on there, like socks and stem caps with sayings to keep you in check while you're training. And also check out uh, her podcast, The Sonia Looney Show, for some great conversations, which are often around the topic of mindset and psychology, and I've enjoyed learning from them a lot. If you don't get this podcast through ProKit, definitely check out the full write-up on my page at ProKit.com. And my link is theprokit.com slash forward slash P forward slash Ann Guzman. And you can get links to several books that were mentioned during our conversation and links to Sonia's programs. And also I tend to add more information and photos and you can browse through my page for other articles and podcasts on sports science and sports nutrition if you go to my page on ProKit. It's a really awesome platform for athletes. I just have one quick favor to ask. If you could just take one minute and head over to Apple Podcasts to rate the podcast and leave a comment. First of all, I love reading the comments. It really does impact how I execute my podcast. And I take that feedback from listeners. Um, I definitely want to start sharing those comments as well. And really my purpose for doing the podcast is to help listeners learn quality information because there's so much BS out there. And I want to get the info from these experts to as many people as possible. So the way it works is the more ratings the podcast has, the more people will see it. And that means I'm getting this info to more people and helping more people. And at the end of the day, that's what this is all about. Um, feel free to DM me. And again, I love reading and sharing your comments. Thanks again for being a part of this community. I do this purely out of passion. I love hearing from you on social media. Never be shy to reach out, share your thoughts on episodes. And yeah, stay tuned for my next episode. Until then, 
All I can say is keep moving forward, one foot in front of the other. You've got to believe in the future you. And while you're doing that, you have to celebrate who you are today. We'll see you next time.